There we go. There we go. <clears throat> How many books does it take to read this book, did you say? Yeah, I don't know. I think there's could be a lot more, but I um what have I got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. But uh it, I'm just I'm just picking pieces of each, you know, but there, there's so much yeah. Thing goes in so many different directions, right? So. All right. Well, uh, do you want to just get right into it then, or uh, do you need to ease into it, wake up a little bit? No, no, I'm fully awake. It's uh, it's 11:30, and I'm just pumped on caffeine, so it should be uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> okay, let's see. Ah, all right. I think, I think I'm good on my end. Uh, yeah. Okay, well then I'm gonna... Uh, yeah. Okay, so here we go. Um, I'm ready. Yeah, I always love your intro, so I'm excited. <laughs> well, I don't know that you need to be excited. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I had a thought. I wanted to turn right and say some words, and then, and then I didn't, and now they're gone. It's let's um, uh, let's take a short break for a sec. And you can That's good. My son needs this. Yeah, my son needs his toothbrush. I'll... Yes. Short break. I'll be back in just one second. Okay. It's where we go. It's where we'll be. I know if I'm hard to you, I'm hard to you. Hard to you, you must be hard to me. Oh. 
thought's gone. It may come back, but it's it's gone. Okay. I would say that it's interesting because like, I definitely had all kinds of reading momentum in other in our, uh, other pursuit. You know, our David Bowie, Lana Del Rey pursuit. Mm-hmm. And for me, that that reading was focusing me on. I kept going back to Job, and then I was interested in in Revolu- uh, Revelation. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it was the Bible as a totality kind of thing. Yep. And, and so I was. There was this Italian writer who who wrote a book called The Book of Books, where he's just kind of. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. I didn't. I haven't seen it. Do you, are are you reading it? Yeah, I I had to stop because I needed to get into this one, but I was. It was just. It was really interesting because you probably had the same experience with the primary text but just uh just how rough it was for the early israelites Mm -hmm. like (laughs) it's just like the godfather or whatever you know like it's it's brutal oh yeah 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 it's yeah there are moments of pure genocide in in the old testament i mean the histories for sure like yeah, to be able to read the Bible without reacting to all that stuff, you 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 almost need to uh, look at it as as being symbolic, um, which it is. You know, it's like all of the history informs the prophecy, and the prophecy ref- it, the prophecies later inform the gospel of the New Testament, right? Um, but uh, right, I mean, um, yeah, there. I I think it all connects even to this book too because um, the big thing in this book is uh, well I guess we should get back to the story in a, in a way right it it ends up the culminating thing is is during the reign of terror in the French Revolution right and so then we've got to look at what what actually happened in the French Revolution right and it's and it's such a fascinating story really. Uh, so for that, I got into, um, I've got this book by uh, Graham Hancock and Robert Bouval called Talisman. Have you seen that? It's actually, it's actually really, it's a really good history of this sort of um, the occult underpinnings of uh, like both the American Revolution and the French Revolution. And then, and then for history, well, they say 2000 years, right? Um but uh, but the, there's a huge section on the French Revolution and sort of the uh, um, the occult side to it, right? Um, and that's basically what this book is about, right? What Zanoni is about. And Zanoni is, uh, he ends up being a character in the French Revolution that really modifies the outcome of the French Revolution, right? Like he ends up, he ends up making historical changes within this within this book, right? And so then then you look at well, who who is this character Zanoni? And then you and then you find out that uh, certain of the things that they talk about in this book, like for example, uh, do you remember when there's a bunch of um, Jacobins um, sitting together, right? I forget where it is. It's like, uh, but it's early on actually. It's it's um. It's, I guess, right in the first book. Um, it's this guy, Cazote, uh, or Cazot. I, I guess it would be Cazot. Um, he's one of the uh, one of the original revolutionaries, and this this would be in 1789 or very early on, anyways. But he has this he has this um, prophecy of all of the guys that are assembled there dying on the scaffold, right? And then the whole revolution being awashed with blood and all these guys are like, what are you talking about? We're talking about, it's not going to be blood and terror. It's all about the millennium, you know? Like, what are you, what are you saying? And then, but it mentions that Cazote uh, meets um, this unknown person, right? This unknown uh who who knows? No, nobody knows who this guy is, right? And that's an actual story in history, right? 
Um, so that's woven into the book, and in the book, it's 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 Zanoni, but it was an actual person who comes in and and uh, talks to Kazote and and sort of inspires this prophecy. Um, and then all the way through the book, there's this talk of this unknown stranger on the street, like um, like putting out all these uh, warnings about Robespierre and that there's um, that there was a, a plot against him and that uh, pe- people are on the verge of overthrowing him and sort of inspiring the, the population against Robespierre, right? Um, so Zanoni, and, and then he meets this other guy, uh, Dumas, yeah, another, another uh, revolutionary character. And same thing, he, Zanoni ends up rescuing this old relative of Dumas and uh, and Dumas promises him at some point to help him and that's what happens in the story Dumas um, helps Zanoni by uh, allowing Viola not to be killed for for a day and and for Zanoni to take his her her place Um, so but my point is that that uh, Zanoni is actually there inside of the history like other sources that don't talk about Bower Lytton at all talk about this this um, unknown master who goes around in these different places and inspires certain events to happen um, master or masters like in this case it's just it's just the one guy um, and there were all these different stories of of people like Saint Germain who was supposedly a a person like Zanoni and Majnur who who lived for decades, maybe centuries, and he had the he had the same sort of magical effect where he seemed to be everywhere, inspiring all these different events, and uh, and and people now say that Zanoni himself or Majnur both are inspired by um, Saint Germain. Um, and one of the things I saw. Cagliostro is another one of those. Yeah, Cagliostro. So, 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 Cagliostro met um, Saint Germain. Like Saint Germain, it seems like he was the uh, the uh, the more senior of the two. Like in Cagliostro, like Cagli- um, like people like Alifus Levy. I'll, I'll get to this quote after, but he. Um, yeah, he thought Saint Germain is basically on the right path, and then and then Cagliostro is not. You know. Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't know where to take this. I I can go. I can go off, and there's so much stuff you know, that you can talk about. <clears throat> well, so the the thing that I'm thinking about is like secret societies may have been the space where you could create liberty yeah and so that's that's pretty interesting um but the interesting thing i'm thinking about right now is so like um like mary shelley was writing earlier i think the last man came out in maybe 1826 Mm -hmm. and this book is 1842 but to think back to the revolution so like he's writing about 50 years or so before. So yeah. that would be like us looking back now and writing about the 60s, maybe? Is that 50 years? No, maybe that's 75 years ago now. No, it's not. It can't be 75. It's only <laughs> 50 years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting parallel because it's like, yeah, if you look back at the 60s and it's it's still such a huge right for there, us it, you know it's like a, right it made such a impact and so peter right. jackson is making like in that whole last man conversation that's when uh that movie uh get back had just come out you know and so we're still just wanting to go and understand what happened and why it happened yeah 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 i mean so it's really interesting like uh if you look at uh Again, the history of the, the French Revolution, which which um, Hancock and all these other people are tracing, right? Um, 
And this is actual history. It's not. It's it's not like conspiracy theory or people making up shit. Um, so, for example, like uh, the Abbe Sayes, which you read about in history, he was very famous for coming out with this pamphlet or book called "What Is the Third Estate," and that was that was the thing that sort of sparked off everything in, in 1789, right? Like this idea, the third of the third estate, which was. Um, the first two estates were the nobility and then the and then the clergy and the third estate was everybody else, like headed by the bourgeoisie. And so uh Abbe Sayes was saying, Well what about what about us? <laughs> and then that's that's what sort of sparked off the revolution, sort of there was a push for a constitutional monarchy and then there was a reaction from uh King Louis the Sixteenth and then and then it got more and more radical to the point where all these guys were advocating a republic. But Abbe Sayes, um, he was in this famous Freemasonic lodge in Paris called the Nine Sisters. This was named after the Nine Muses. And uh, everybody who's anybody in the revolution was, seems like he was involved in this, uh, in this, in this Nine Sisters lodge. Like uh, Condorcet, who's, who's in Zanoni, uh, Guillotine, guillotine, who who invented the who invented the guillotine, or as we say in English, right? Um, uh, Court de Gabelin, who who he was the guy who invented the the modern tarot, right? Which which yeah. then uh, Eliphas Levy um, adapts, and then uh, this guy, this astronomer Lalande, um, and then revolutionary leaders like uh, Desmoulins and Danton. And then I think Robespierre. I don't know. Robespierre himself was. Would, Robespierre himself was a uh, uh, Freemason at least. And then Benjamin Franklin, who ends up becoming the Grand Master of this lodge. And so there's a massive connection between the uh, the French and the American Revolution, right? Like he. Um, so so Franklin came came to France right after the American Revolution and, and joined this lodge and then ended up becoming the, the grand master of it. Um, but uh, Wasn't but Thomas he, Paine at both revolutions too? Yeah, Thomas Paine was involved. Thomas Paine was, yeah, and so it's the same circle, Thomas Paine, the circle with uh, William Godwin and and, uh, and his wife, uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, and then Mary Shelley and Shelley, and then William Blake was was a member of that circle, sort of a peripheral member of that circle, who who also knew, knew Thomas Paine. Um, and then and then if you look back at the history of these lodges, and it's something insane. Like let me, what was that? Uh, let me just find out about this. Um, there was something like uh, I forget. There's somewhere I wrote about how many lodges were in Paris at the time, um, like Freemasonic lodges. It was just massive, the number. Uh, I can't seem to find it here. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I can't seem to find it at the moment, but. Um, Anyways, there's just a massive number of these these lodges, these Freemasonic lodges in Paris at that time, and you, if you go back to their history, there there's a huge influence of the Bavarian Illuminati, like it gets right back to the Illuminati, um, which started in 1776, the same year as the uh, the same year as the American Revolution, like in the Declaration of Independence. Um, and uh, and their the Bavarian Illuminati, their objective was to overthrow all of the monarchies in Europe and the Christian Church and the Catholic Church, and and that's why they were deemed to be so so dangerous and so radical. Um, and so they ended up having a huge influence on these Masonic lodges in France, especially um, this one, the Nine Sisters. Uh, lodge and so all of these guys who were involved in the revolution um, from the beginning were members of this lodge um, so then um, 
there's a big question, right? It's like, uh, okay, so on that side, there's this influence of secret societies, right? But then in this book, there's another influence of secret societies, which is uh, Zanoni and, and Majnur representing these Rosicrucian immortals, basically, right? But there seems to be a split, right? There's a split between the two. And so what is the nature of the split is, is the big question. Say that some more. Um, well, here's... So, like I said before, uh, a huge influence, it seems, on Bulwer-Lytton was um, Eliphas Levy, right? So he he's written a huge amount of stuff, and one of them is one of the books that he's written is called The History of Magic, and so he gets into the, he gets into the uh, the start of the the Rosicrucians and and the Templars, and how this all connects up to the French Revolution. Because remember, um, this famous story of the French Revolution, which doesn't appear in Zanoni, but you can find it all over the place, of, of uh, the famous anecdote of, of uh, when right after Louis XVI is beheaded in Paris, um, I think in 1793 uh, or something, um, somebody jumps onto the scaffold and yells out, uh, thou art avenge Jacques de Molay, you know, who, and he's talking about the leader of the Templars, right? Um, and so this whole idea is that um, there is a split from the time of the Templars um, and even further back, like uh, Levy traces it back to Dante and this other book that I've read called the Romance uh, that I haven't read called the Romance of the Ro- Romance of the Rose, um, and it includes this this rose rosy cross symbolism, like in uh, at the end of Dante's Paradiso, the highest level of of paradise is this rose, this celestial rose that comes right, and so um, and Dante represented this uh, this party. That was against. There was a split between the the, the Guelphs and the and the Ghibellines, I guess. Or the, um, and Dante was of the party that uh, was against against the Catholic Church and for the Empire. There's sort of a split there, and uh, and so according to Eliphas Levy, that's where this split occurs within European society of initiates who are. Um, following this sort of Gnostic path or something, this path of the rose or the path of, path of the rose of Christians, and then, and then uh, this other set of initiates who are um, more traditional and they want to they, they want to sort of retain this traditional order. Um, so there's an interesting. Just a second, I'll uh, I'll, I'll read something. Um. Yeah, this is on. Just a second. Here's here's something. This is this is from Eliphas Levy, the uh, history of magic. Um, he said, as a fact, the initiates of the 18th century um, thought that their time had come. Some for the foundation of a new hierarchy, others for the subversion of an authority, and for setting on the summits of the social order, the level of equality. And so Eliphas Levy is totally against the idea of equality, and so is Zanoni in, in this book. Um, and for setting on the summits of a new social order, the level, the level of equality, the secret societies sent their scouts throughout the world to sound opinion and at need awaken it. After the Saint-Germain and Lascarie came Mesmer, and Mesmer was succeeded by Cagliostro. But they were not all of the same school. Saint-Germain was the ambassador of illuminated uh, theosophists, while Lascarie represented the naturalist attached to the tradition of Hermes. Cagliostro was the agent of the Templars, and this is how he came to announce in a circular address to all Masons in London that the time had come to build the Temple of the Eternal. Like the Templars, Cagliostro was addicted to the practices of black magic and to the fatal science of evocations. Um, 
And so then he goes on a little bit later. Where's that? Um, uh, let me see. Three five. Oh yeah. So yeah. So we have said during the 18th century a schism took place in Illuminism. On the one hand, the wardens of the traditions concerning nature and science wished to restore the hierarchy. There were others, on the contrary, who desired to level all things by disclosing the great arcanum, thus rendering the royalty and priesthood alike impossible in the world. Among the latter, some were ambitious and unscrupulous, seeking to erect a throne for themselves over the ruins of the world. Others were dupes and zanies. The true initiates beheld with dismay the launching of society towards the abyss, and they foresaw all the terrors of anarchy. Um, so that's it. Like that's, I, you know, when I read that, I thought, wow, that's a. <laughs> um, I think that really explains where this book is coming from, where Bulwer Lytton is coming from in this book, right? That it's a, it's. Well, it's a story of uh, the the clash between secret societies, like these these lines of initiates that go so far back. Hmm. And and it's interesting too. Like it's hard to know where to fall. Um, like which of these groups I would align myself with, right? Like so. So he mentioned that that. Um, Cagliostro and these guys who are like the, the sort of architects of the French Revolution, their idea was to um, have a leveling of society, sort of a class leveling, but at the same time uh, a kind of spiritual leveling where the great arcanum is released to everyone. And so everyone knows the secrets of the initiates and everyone's able to uh, advance spiritually. But then on the other side, um, and even in Zanoni, this book, it talks, um, Minur is talking to uh, Glyndon, and he mentions that in the world, in, at present, evil is greater than good. So if we were to release all of the mysteries to everyone, evil would take it over, and it would be, it would turn into a hell world, basically. Um, and that's, that's, a sobering thought, you know, that's that that sounds like truth to me as well. The secrets must stay secret. Yeah. Well, does it seem like there's any rhyme or reason to these books that we're choosing? Like, are we mining a vein or are we just getting blown around in the wind? I yeah, I think I think we're sort of tracing this uh, uh, this literary tradition because um, yeah, once you have that in mind, uh, like that sort of schism between sex, basically, right? And and it's hard to it's hard to really trace this schism because even even with individual authors like like uh like levy for example started out as a revolutionary socialist and then became more kind of reactionary and, and an advocate of tradition and he sort of bounced back and forth between the two poles so so some of his stuff he is looking into uh this kind of revolutionary side and then you have like i said his his follower who considered himself to be a the reincarnation of levy who's alistair crowley and Crowley's like, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the whole. <laughs> like he's a complete libertine. Like and, and then he's he's notorious for releasing the secrets of the Hermetic Order, the Golden Dawn, to everyone. Yeah. And once again, the uh, Bulwer Lytton was a member of the the Hermetic Order, the the Golden Dawn. You know, like um. So I think that's what we're doing in this in this kind of book club trajectory is kind of tracing out this whole literary history you know which is so hard because it's so tangled up in each other well it seems like there's there's two major components that we're like frequently butting up against but there's the the political component mm -hmm. and then there's like a religious or spiritual component yeah 
And I think we Westerns like to keep those separate, but I don't know that they can be separate. And oftentimes the spiritual becomes the political. Exactly. You know, uh, it's what, like when you read uh, the Russian guy. Uh, Dostoevsky? I don't yeah, like it, it's all <laughs> religiously informed, right? It, that's what's driving history is, you know, his, the spiritual aspirations or, you know, the prophetic movement towards the promised land. Yeah, and he's he's introducing, the, the Russians are into, influ, uh, introducing a new element to it because he's, he's not affirming the tradition of the Catholic Church, Um and that goes way back to like uh, like the Illuminati as well, the Bavarian Illuminati. They take their structure and their secrets from the Jesuits directly, right? They structure it like uh, Weishaupt was was a Jesuit, right? And so there's a split right there. Um, but Dostoevsky is is saying no, even the Catholic Church is is antichrist (laughs) he's he's introducing a third layer of tradition to it he's saying no it's the russian orthodox uh church that's the true tradition even the catholic church is is too wrapped up in secularism um to the point where it's antichrist and then of course all the masonic groups that sort of split off into it It, dostoevsky is talking about it as as that's just a natural occurrence right of once you once you veer into sort of an antichrist view of things, then of course you're going to have schisms upon schisms. Um, and you might be right, you know. Um, but then there's this. Okay, so this is this is where it really came together for me. This whole in this whole book is on uh, when in my book it's page 282. But uh, this is um, I guess what is it? It's a letter. Yeah, it's a letter from Zanoni to Mijnur, or Maynur, and he's um, he's now in France and he's he's looking for Viola, because Viola's Viola's run away from him um, because she's terrified because of her superstitions that 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 uh, he's a he's an evil sorcerer that that Zanoni is is actually an evil sorcerer. Um, but anyways, uh, so Zanoni ends up in the streets of Paris um, in 1793 or 94, right, right at the time of the uh, the reign of terror. And he's so I'll just read this one. He's saying, um, "They peer at me with venomous looks as I pass through the streets. With a glance, I disarm their malice and fascinate the basilisks. Everywhere I see the track and scent." the presence of the ghostly one that dwells on the threshold. So the dweller in the threshold again, and whose victims are the souls that would aspire and can only fear. I see its dim shapelessness going on before the men of blood and marshalling their way. Robespierre passed me with his furtive step. Those eyes of horror were gnawing into his heart. I looked down upon their senate, the grim phantom set cowering on its floor. It hath taken up its abode in the city of dread and what in truth are these would-be builders of a new world like the students who have vainly struggled after our supreme science they have attempted what is beyond their power they have passed from this solid earth of usages and forms into the land of shadow and its loathsome keeper has seized them as as its prey i looked into the tyrant's shuddering soul as it as it trembled past me there amidst the ruins of a thousand systems which aimed at virtue sat crime and shivered at its desolation yet this man is only th- is is the only thinker the only aspirant among amongst them all he still looks for a future of peace and mercy to begin i at what date when he has swept away every foe fool new foes spring from every drop of blood led by the eyes of the unutterable. He is walking to his doom. Um, but this part within that quote about, uh, they have attempted what is beyond their power. Um, like the students who have vainly struggled after our supreme science. So so here he's talking about Glyndon, right? Who he's 
struggling after the secrets of their supreme science theurgy, right? Mm-hmm. And he fails in the attempt and meets the guardian of the threshold, and he's haunted by it, right? So that's the spiritual side of it, right? Like this whole idea that we're always talking with uh, Jason and David and everybody else of, of crossing the threshold, right? Um, going across that, you know, that that uh, the 11th Sephiroth, um, who, who Eliphas Levy introduces. I didn't realize that before, but he was the one who introduces that that Sephiroth, right? But uh, but this idea of crossing the threshold and Glyndon fails at it, right? And then he's haunted by this guardian, right? And then Zanoni right here is is comparing that with this attempt of revolution, of going what is beyond their power. So the whole revolution, the idea of the revolution is to attain the millennium on earth without faith, without God, without everything. And uh, and they fail at the attempt, and then collectively they're haunted by the guardian of the threshold, right? And so there's the connection between the spiritual and the, and the, and the historical right there, the, the, the spiritual and the political, right? So, well, Christ the imagination or, you know, like if the spiritual is this. So that's what's it, like, that's the this interesting thing to me was that we want to take that space and literalize it and have you know whatever what like structure or things you know we're making statues that we can bow to kind of thing but it's it's the swirling energetic realm that uh, drives the political momentum say yeah yeah it's like uh i think it's what dostoevsky is talking about as well it's like uh these um revolutionary groups that he was involved with in russia are also striving towards the millennium, right? And uh, it's interesting. This one historian, uh, James Billington, he talks about uh, if um, uh, if the French Revolution is the incarnation, then the Russian Revolution is the second coming, right? Um, but but that's what that's what uh, Dostoevsky found out within these revolutionary cells is that um, they didn't, they weren't revolutionary enough in a, in a sense, you know, because they're, they were atheists. They tried to make this, this jump and they couldn't, they tried to cross, cross the threshold um, collectively and, and they couldn't, you know, because they didn't have the traditional side to them, you know? Right. But that's kind of like the sixties, tried to cross the threshold too and, and create a new society. And, and same, although same, same thing, yeah. It, it, it doesn't seem like it happened, but it, it clearly did. Like, the, you know, something got through. Yeah, well, same, same thing with, uh, yeah, French Revolution, Russian Revolution. Like, the more, I, the more I read about this period, like 19th century, and it's all a reflection on the French Revolution, and the same as all the 20th century stuff that comes on, is is kind of a reflection of the Russian Revolution and such a the, the like the the shock heard around the world, you know, at that time, you know. I guess with the that that quote comes from the American Revolution. It was like it was like bang bang, and then the the, <laughs> the American Revolution was the fuse that, that that let off the bomb in the in France, you know. Um, but uh, no, it's exciting. Like, and then so then I went back to Blake, William Blake, who's like, uh, like we're talking about. He's a member of this that same circle, and he was he was an early, um, complete fan of the French Revolution. He thought it would change everything. Like, it, he he thought all the tyrants across Europe, across the world, would be slaughtered, and there'd be this period of complete liberation and freedom not only material freedom, but like spiritual freedom. But then he, like word got back to him of how terrible the terror was. And then he kind of modified his views. He still, he still is a revolutionary, but he became a kind of more like a spiritual revolutionary in a sense, you know, but he, so in his poem, Jerusalem, 
massive poem, epic. Um, he talks about the covering cherub. And the covering cherub is basically um, the angel that was assigned at the gates of Eden after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden after the uh, the fall of man to prevent um, men, humans, from returning into the paradise before their time, right? And so Blake calls that the covering cherub, and then, but in his own kind of mythology or psychology, it's it represents the selfhood, right? So he he says, uh, thus was the covering cherub revealed, majestic image of selfhood, body put off, the antichrist accursed, covered with precious stones, a human dragon terrible, and bright stretched over over Europe and Asia, gorgeous. In three nights he devoured the rejected course of death. Um, so that's that's he doesn't call it the guardian of the threshold, but it's the same thing, you know. It's that that's that's who the, mm. the covering cherub is. So then, what is the what is the guardian of the threshold? It's it's selfhood, you know. It's 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 the ego. It's all these things that we don't give up um, when we're trying Did to pass. Did you see? Yeah, now you're reminding me of uh, that movie, The Fountain. Oh yeah, right where he climbs up to the top of the temple, and then there's the the guardian or the yeah, guardian of the threshold. Oh wow, I gotta watch. Yeah, I, I, I love that movie. I gotta watch it again just to see that part. It, it, and then what and happens? Then, and then, like he dies to live, kind of thing. I think, or wait, maybe he kills him. I don't remember. I mean, yeah. wouldn't wouldn't be surprising if he's taking these ideas on, you know? Because, like I right. said, that goes. Um, Blavatsky talks about this a lot, the Guardian of the Threshold, and then she. We might be able to get into this, but she explains her ideas, what this being is, you know. Um, but then, uh, and then it goes into Rudolf Steiner, and he's got his own takes on it, which are incredible. And then, and then Crowley, and so um, there's a book, uh, "The Eye in the Triangle," and it's written by his, uh, Israel Regardi, right, who was a kind of a secretary of Crowley, and uh, and he. He talks about this, like, like what happened to, um, what happened to Crowley, and he said, "Let me just check." Um, yeah. So, so he's saying that uh, in one of his former essays, Crowley's essays, he had defined all the magical hierarchies, divine as well as infernal, and so many uh, consist. Uh, constituents of of the total human organism gods angels demons therefore were all intrinsically part of parts of his own psyche it should be evident that Karanzon was no abstraction no universal quality to which he had merely given form it was above all else the dramatize dramatization of some of the more diabolical contents of his own psyche and then he says um in North Africa, so this is when he was doing like the vision and the voice working, right? Which, we're, which we have been talking about. In North Africa, he had the supreme opportunity to exercise this monster and thus to assimilate it to his own consciousness and make it a part of himself. It was here, I think, he failed so that in one way or the other, the monster as his own shadow continued to persecute him throughout the rest of his career. And that that's the uh, that's the tragedy of uh, of Crowley. So that's why I I thought that Glyndon well he was sort of a that sort of Crowley character, but he ends up he ends up getting redeemed right Glyndon does. But it it seems like Crowley didn't you know Crowley was haunted by the guardian of the threshold until the end. I can't read Crawley at all. I just can't do it. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Have, have you read, um, have you tried to read uh, Moonchild? 
no, it's, maybe his novel. Okay. Yeah, it's um, uh, yeah. Again, the writing's not great, but the story's interesting. And it, it's it continues this idea, like this this um, conflict of secret societies, right? Um. Yeah, I was definitely really inspired in a lot of different directions. Um, but I don't know, this, this is wanting me to like reconnect with, with Godwin and, and his circle. Yeah, me too. I was, I was looking, well, I didn't get a chance to look up, uh, his novels, um, like his early novels where he talks, where his early Rosicrucian novels, um, I've looked I've looked at his lives of the necromancers which I didn't I didn't realize that he he had written. I was into Godwin cuz he was an early anarchist. He, yeah. He was the first to call himself an anarchist, I think. Um and then his book Caleb Williams uh is incredible. Have you read that one? No. Yeah, that's a great. But answer. I wonder if I would struggle with all of these just because of the the language yeah i just i don't i remember that one i remember that one went super fast you know so i'm not like it's probably written in that older style but the story itself was so exciting that uh um didn't seem to matter it's like uh yeah (laughs) it's like uh 18th century police state (laughs) you know (laughs) it's it's actually pretty relevant to, to today i think um, but uh, yeah, so I didn't realize that connection, sort of his, uh, Godwin's anarchist connection with his occult connection, and now th- it's all making sense. You know, it's all it's all coming together as a piece. Mm. And so you're very happy with Zanoni. It was a good choice. I'm curious, like when I enjoy something, I always immediately want to try and do it again to see. And usually you end up convincing me to maybe think, oh, yes, you should you should wade back in and (laughs) try again. But with this one, I just don't know. I mean, that's how I felt like at the end of the last man talk, I said, yes, I'm I really am interested in the people and the time and there's connections, but I don't know if I want to read this. Oh, that was my thought. So I made the mistake when we were reading the last man in not trying to think about the characters as the the people that she was having them emulate in her circle. Mm-hmm. So like. I think the last man, Adrian, might have been his name, was yeah. her. You know, she was the last man. Everyone died, and she was the only one alive, and that's one of the reasons why she wrote it. But then, if you were, in, if the characters themselves were imbued with the the traits of the, you know, the people they represent, then maybe there would be more meaning. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. it would just bring them to life a little bit more, and it would have another layer and so i i felt like i wanted to do it the opposite where i don't want any of the baggage i just want to read it and then i felt like maybe i did it wrong by not putting the baggage on there and now i'm wondering if if reading that note at the end first and thinking about them both as characters but then more as like a morality play Yeah. yeah like thinking about what they represent and what what that would bring to the reading so i'm yeah like for a long time when i was reading this i was yeah i was wondering how it all how it all comes together as a book you know like what what is the uh like in a way you can kind of figure it out but but once i found that that quote that i read about uh zanoni seeing the dweller of the threshold on the on the streets of paris right and this idea of revolution itself being an initiation, a collective initiation. And then it all came together, you know. Um, 
So I think that it's actually like at least three layers. There's another layer of art, you know. Um, so Glyndon in the book is an artist and he seems to be a good artist and he seems to be like that's one of the reasons that um, Zanoni was kind of attracted to him is because there was something in his art like he was actually looking at the beauty of things. I think there's a quote in the book somewhere it says like the purpose of art is not to uh, um, reproduce nature but sort of exalt nature to show something like it's not like taking just taking a photograph of it or something like that it's to show um, show the divine within na nature and it seems like Zanoni saw that in the art of Glyndon right but then there's th that other character we d haven't talked about yet uh uh, Jean Nico, yeah. Do you remember him? Yeah, a little. <laughs> he's he's that, that the ugly, deformed artist, um, who also loves viola, but he's a complete materialist atheist. He ends up, uh, he ends up uh, being a disciple of the most radical atheistic sect of the uh of the revolutionaries in france um but his art is described as like uh um just mechanism so so obviously uh he doesn't get beyond the threshold either he's he's trapped in his his art is trapped at that level as well right um and then at one point, uh, Zanoni comes back and speaks to Glyndon and says that uh, um, he talks about faith, right? And he's saying it's not faith alone that leads leads to the world to be, but without faith, there's no excellence in this. But that the artist calls it the ideal, right? For the true artist, instead of calling it faith, it's called the ideal. But these two things are the same thing, you know? Um, so I think that's another that's another layer to to the novel about uh, ways to pass beyond the threshold, you know, like it, that it happens within art as well. Um, so maybe the, these are the four manias, I guess, that that Plato is talking about, you know, like the uh, art or music, and then and then the mystical side, which is the initiation. And then the prophetic side would be the historical, political side, right? And then the uh, and then love at the end, and the, and finally that's what allows Zanoni himself to recross the threshold, and and Viola comes comes with him. Um, and and it, you read the Phaedrus by Plato, and that's it's basically what Plato says too: is the love is the ultimate madness, you know, it's the ultimate thing that will. That, that can transport you to the one. So then, how does this fit into like a Gnostic cosmology? Does it? Yeah. Yeah. So this is um, this is the big question, right? Is is like is, is this the nature of the split? Um, between these two massive traditions, right? And this is something I think uh, Graham Hancock and Robert Bouval are getting to, right? Like, a, um, and, and but it's it's also what Marshall McLuhan talks about, right? Like the 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 split between Catholics and Gnostics, right? And and the difference being that uh, the Gnostics reject the world and want to reform the world they they think the world itself is completely fallen and and to be rejected and so the only thing to do is sort of reform the world in their own image whereas the ortho more orthodox I, I don't mean capital o orthodox but uh just right the christian orthodoxy and you read this in saint augustine for example it's like they accept the world as being a beautiful thing um created by the ultimate creator right and that's the perspective of zanoni and and Mejour who are who are saying yeah you can find the uh 
the alphabet of of the language of God when you go for a walk down the street, you know, like you, you don't need to read books. It's all just there in front of you. You can read the signatures of, of things, right? And so there's no need to reform the world. Um, there's no need to change the world, perfect the world, you know? It's already it's already perfect if you if you could only see it, you know. Um, but whether or not, I I don't know if that's actually what the Gnostics believed, you know. I, I think um, some like there are different sects of Gnostics, and some of them did have this idea of of like even the Manichaeans had this sense of like seeing the luminous in in everything, right? Um, the sparks of the divine are still in the world. But uh, but that does seem to be a, a big split. Um, that's what McLuhan talked about as well, is that uh, the Gnostic side, Gnostics with quotes around it, right, is is this will to, yeah, what Dostoevsky said, like create the, the crystal palace, you know. Um, and that's what the revolution is in this sense, you know. It's, um, it's sort of a failed collective initiation. Mm. And then to take it back to our own, like, so I also think of like that, that other space where you're bringing, you know, like if you go into the underworld and you bring back the, whatever it is that you've captured Mm. to, to found the new society, right? Mm. So you go into, you know, like you go into the underworld and you're successful in your hero quest and you bring back whatever it is you know, you cross the threshold and you, and you're going to found the new society. Um, like I think about the difference between coming back and then starting a new religion, um, or, you know, coming back and starting like a new political movement. Because like we, it's, it, you know, it's not the same per se, even though, (laughs) <laughs> it is <laughs> well in the it's that's an interesting point too we we haven't talked about is is that uh like in the novel zanoni it talks about how uh um in 1794 robespierre um created this massive festival which and he initiated this cult of the supreme being the etra supreme or whatever um which was basically like this deistic natural religion based on the philosophy of Rousseau. Um, but essentially what he's trying to do is, is control the movement, right? Cause they're all like, um, at that time there's this, there's this massive wave of de-Christianization, um, forcing nuns and priests and stuff to, uh, to get defrocked, um, and like destroying holy water, destroying churches. Like they even even transformed the uh, the the cathedral of Notre Dame into this like uh, temple of reason, right? And certain of the revolutionaries, Lalande, this um, astronomer who was in the um, the Nine Sisters Lodge, uh, he he said even historically, and this might be true. I don't know. Is is that uh, um, Notre Dame was set up on a temple of Isis. Uh, originally, Paris was a city that worshipped Isis, and that, uh, and so the revolutionaries, they recreated this um, religion of Isis, right? Um, calling Isis reason and nature and all these other words, but essentially Isis. You look at the symbolism, and it's it's completely Isis, right? And they're they're explicit about that in their in their essays, um, but then that got out of control. It, then it then it became like everybody wearing Phrygian caps and and Phrygian caps that harkens back to Phrygia, where the uh, uh, and 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 the worship of the uh, the mother goddess there, Cabele, right, who's also equated with Isis, um, and even in even in Roman times that. Um, that cult was outlawed for a time because it, it went too wild, you know? Um, so, so, uh, and that's what happened in, in France in the revolutionary period is you, you had these, what are described as obscene, like basically pagan processions going on in the, 
countryside all over the place, towns and cities. Um, these voluptuous young women acting like uh, the goddess reason, <laughs> like, like draped in red, white and blue. And like it, just this massive in, insanity going on in, in, in this crazy anti-Christian wave. And Robespierre realized it was getting out of control. So he sort of he tried to basically reform that religion and make it more into like a deistic natural religion. Right. And he was doing that to defeat this massive out of control um, Temple of Isis movement, and then and then the atheists like uh, Herbert and these guys who were who wanted who who thought Robespierre was a was a reactionary because he believed in the supreme being, you know. So so uh, Robespierre was against atheism, but also against this this basic um, neo paganism. 